the book of Hebrews is one of the most challenging, substantial books in the New Testament. There are a few things we think are helpful to keep in mind as we engage with the author's message. First, while we don't know for sure who wrote it, we learn early on that they had a first-hand relationship with Jesus' disciples, so the author's message is based on Jesus' teachings. Second, even though we don't know exactly who he's writing to, the intense and deep connection to Old Testament stories about Abraham and Moses, the discussion of covenants and the role of priests and sacrifices, suggests that the original audience had a working knowledge of Jewish customs and beliefs. Moreover, the content of the letter suggests that they had left these old ways behind to follow Jesus. Third, as a result of following Jesus, they faced social pressure and hostility from their Jewish community and also found themselves outside the broader community and culture. In a collectivist society, being isolated and alone or in a small group without much support put them in a vulnerable position. Facing intense pressure, many of them were starting to revert back to their Jewish practices and traditions. Some had already abandoned Jesus completely. Others were drifting in that direction. More than a letter, the author writes a sermon that bounces back and forth between explaining certain ideas and encouraging those reading to keep going, to keep following Jesus. The encouragement takes different forms, including some intense and scary warnings. But through it all, the author reminds them, and us, that Jesus is superior in every way and worth following. It's a clear and compelling vision for following Jesus that we're excited to explore with you in this series. Good morning. I'm Julie, Julie Cameron. I'm, to say that I'm excited to be here is an understatement, so I'm thrilled to be here with you. Um, I'm thrilled you're here, so welcome. Welcome to the online audience. Okay, so last summer, my brother-in-law got a hole-in-one. A hole-in-one! It was in the Ozarks, 12th hole, 170, or 127 yards, shot with a 9-iron. It was even in the Kansas City Star, uh, I got a newspaper clipping for you, so this makes it official. Here's the kicker. Henry's hole-in-one happened during his second time golfing. Second time golfing. Doesn't that take you off? I mean, anyone who's played more than one round of golf in their lives knows that this game is about skill and patience and buying a whole bunch of stupid golf aids to improve your backswing. This game is not about luck, and it is certainly not about chance. So to be that lucky on your second time golfing is scandalous. Scandalous because for the veteran golfer watching, it's infuriating. He didn't put in the work, he didn't spend the money, and he does not deserve that hole in one. I don't know about you, but I love a good scandal, and nothing is more scandalous than the book of Hebrews. Even today, this letter is an invitation for us to reset and refocus on the most important thing, Jesus. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Jesus is the definitive word on God. Jesus shows us what God is truly like. An intimate encounter with Jesus is the most transforming experience one can have. And somewhere in the deep recesses of our soul lies this overwhelming yearning for our creator. 
And yet somewhere along the lines, we get wrapped up and refocused on a lot of other things. The same was true for these early believers. They started focusing on Jesus, and somewhere along the lines, just like us, they got sidetracked. So like the video said, like Tover said, the recipients of, these le- of this letter was most likely Jewish believers in Jesus. They were suffering and becoming outcasts among their Jewish community. So because of it, many of these early believers were slipping back into the comfortable religious rituals of Judaism in order to escape this persecution. Uh, This letter is a plea for these suffering believers to continue in the grace of Jesus and not go back to their former practices. The writer of Hebrews' main point throughout the entire letter is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than the law given by Moses. Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system and greater than temple worship. Jesus is greater than everything, period. And because of Jesus, certain religious things were no longer necessary. This was shocking. This is shocking. The writer sets out to prove that Jesus ushered in an entirely new thing. And because of it, the old way of doing things no longer applied. But it was difficult. It was a difficult truth to understand and practice and live out. It was a hard pill to swallow, especially for the dedicated Jewish believer who would ask, why would God set aside the old covenant that he himself created? But God did set it aside in Jesus. So now the challenge becomes to persuade them that Jesus is greater and encourage them to grab hold of Jesus with both hands. And so the same challenge applies to us today. Are we going to focus on Jesus or are we going to get sidetracked? In fact, the writer pauses six different times throughout this letter warning us to pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. So the question becomes, why do we keep forgetting to pay attention to Jesus? Why do we keep getting sidetracked? Why is it easier to slip back into religious effort rather than putting our entire faith and trust in Jesus? I bought my daughter Lily a brand new pair of boots this year, and one day... On the way out to the bus, I noticed she was limping. So I asked her about it. And I said, why are you limping? She said, because my boots are too small. Strange. I thought I had just bought the boots. And of course, I bought them in a larger size. But the next thing, next day, same thing. She was limping out to the bus. And that night, she had blisters on her feet. When I asked her about it, she just shrugged it off, said her boots were too small. And I held the boots up to her feet thinking, there's no way these boots are too small for you. So I stuck my hand in the boot, and I proceeded to pull out five pairs of socks. (laughs) Five pairs of socks. I asked her, didn't you notice the socks in your boots? Of course, she said. She shrugged it off, like socks filling up her boots was normal. Not something she should question or do something about. (laughs) 
I just didn't have a response to that. She's six. But as I think about this, I marvel at the acceptance of the pain and hardship boot socks caused. So I wonder if you and I are doing the same things in our own religious life, holding on to things that are familiar, even though they hurt us and make us limp. In fact, isn't this what was happening with the recipients of the Hebrews letter? They were returning back to their old religious practices, shoving socks back into the toes of their boots because it was easier to limp around and with what felt familiar. Um, and I get that, honestly, no judgment from me. But the writer's main point is that Jesus is greater. So he sets off to prove this point in a way these people would understand. And he does this by comparing and contrasting the role of the high priest with Jesus' role as high priest. So let's talk about this for a second, because this is what I mean. The high priest in the Jewish form of worship was a critical role. The high priest was the only one who had access to God, and only once a year. So they served their people by making intercession for them. They did this by sacrificing animals to pay for and cover the many sins of the people. And then once that was done, they received a blessing from God that they turned around and gave to the people. The entire system of worship depended on this one person, this one role. Does anyone see the glaring issue with that? The high priests themselves needed the same things the people did. They too needed a sacrifice. They too needed their sins paid for. They too needed to be forgiven. They too needed acceptance and blessing from God. In fact, they couldn't do anything for the people before they first took care of themselves. There was a lot of fruitless religious hoops to jump through. This is just like Lily walking around with socks in her boots painful and unnecessary. So the writer of Hebrews spends chapter after chapter after chapter showing how the high priest was flawed, how he was human, how he was sinful, and how he could only help the people so far because eventually he died. And then they had to start over with the new guy, boot socks. The entire religious system was flawed because it was set up to continually remind the people of their sin and separation from God, but could do nothing, nothing to bridge that gap. Boot socks. Approaching God was only reserved for the high priest, and we were never even allowed to try. And even the high priest was warned, hey, don't just come in here at any time, and don't you dare come in here empty-handed. Boot socks, boot socks, boot socks. This is what the writer is trying to get across. The entire system keeps us separate and limping away from God with socks in our boots, but does nothing to bring us near to God. But do you know who found fault with that system? God found fault with it because it never brought his people close to him. Anything, it drove us away because of the frailty of the human condition. We are sinful, broken, and subject to death. In the letter, the writer calls the entire system weak and useless. He says the leaders of the system are appointed in weakness. 
But God in Jesus did something different as a new way to bridge that gap between us and bring us closer to him. And Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is greater. And so now that we know how flawed the boot sock system is, we turn our focus to Jesus, who brings us into the presence of God, where we know and are known by God, and where we love and are loved by God. And like the ancient recipients of the letter, this is also an invitation for us. So let's pause right here. In what ways are you still walking around with five pairs of socks in your boots? Are you afraid if God really knew you, he'd reject you? Are you keeping track of all the ways you mess up in life? Are you here this morning to earn God's favor? Beloved, can you hear the voice of God simply inviting you closer this morning? The truth is we all limp around with socks in our boots and blisters on our feet because this is humanity's problem. But listen to how God fixed our problem. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, he's talking about the old covenant here, which is basis of high priests and sacrifices and a list of to-dos and to-don't as the basis of their relationship with God. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. There was something wrong with the first, boot socks. So God did a new thing. And because it's new, the, lo- the old no longer applies. But we get confused and sidetracked. So I was at a sales call in my early 30s, and I was meeting with this guy who was just staring at me. It was so uncomfortable. So the awkwardness of the situation finally gave way when he stopped, and he said, I'm sorry I'm staring at you, but you look so much like my Aunt Virginia. I politely laughed, the tension eased away, but then he produced a picture of sweet Aunt Virginia. Does anyone else think she looks like me? Aunt Virginia is my doppelganger. She looks like me, she smiles like me, same cheekbones, same nose, same jaw, same eyes. We even have a left dimple, or a dimple, on our left cheek. So when I look at this picture, I see what Julie Cameron in the 1940s would look like, and I like it. 
But here's the truth. This is not Julie Cameron from the 1940s. This is sweet Aunt Virginia. We look the same, but we are completely different people. In the same way, the new covenant looks like, sounds like, and appears to be just like the old in every way imaginable, but it is not the same. It is an entirely new covenant. So here's the highlights of the new covenant that Jesus is now high priest over. First, I got to point out that God made a covenant with us. God made a covenant with us. This is incredible. I find this fascinating because covenants are different than contracts um, or business arrangements. In a business arrangement, a contract would be like, you pay me this much money, I provide you this service. Here's the length, the terms, the deliverables. So this is kind of what they had under the old covenant, which was more like a contract than a covenant. Everything fell under a list of you do this, I'll do that. If you don't believe me, just go read the book of Leviticus. It's all spelled out. But a covenant is not like this at all. Covenants are different than contracts because they're relational and personal. So it's the difference between a business arrangement with a list of um, conditions and a marriage partnership, which is unconditional and unending. (coughs) Excuse me. Because of Jesus, we have an unconditional, unending covenant relationship with God. So no more flawed and imperfect high priest, no more sacrifices and religious checklists, no more striving to be good enough and stay good enough. Just the voice of our creator saying, I'm your God and you are my people. It's scandalous. It's an undeserved hole-in-one. Second, God's loss will no longer be written in stone, thrown in our face every time we mess up, like an arrest warrant ready to accuse us. Instead, they're written on our hearts and in our minds. And when we mess up in sin, because we still will, the truth written on our hearts actually brings us back to Jesus. And here's the truth written on our hearts. It's Jesus' perfection. It's Jesus' righteousness. It's Jesus' faithfulness. It's Jesus' devotion. It's Jesus' forgiveness. It's Jesus' ability to help us in our weakness and our faithlessness. And yet, some of you are sitting here feeling the full weight of your mistakes and sin. You count up all the ways you fail. You experience the kind of guilt that keeps you separate from God. And all the while, God is inviting you to let that go. This is the moment to let that go. The Spirit of God is not the one speaking condemnation and guilt over you today. In Christ, there's no accusation. Jesus died to bring you into the Father's presence where there's no accusation. There's only love and acceptance and an invitation to start again with God's help. It's scandalous. It's an undeserved hole-in-one. Third, we can know God. 
we can know God, what? Before someone needed to teach us about God, but now God through Christ reveals himself directly to us. In the old covenant, the people needed a person to represent them before God and in return relay to them what God said. So Moses was a perfect example of this. He'd go up to Mount Sinai, speak with God, and then come down and tell the people what God said. The only time God spoke directly to the people, they begged him not to. They begged him. They were consumed with fear and begged God not to speak to them, but only to speak to Moses for them. The new covenant allows us to speak directly to God without fear and hesitation. He's a personal God who reveals himself directly to us. It's scandalous. It's an undeserved hole-in-one. Lastly, the main difference between the two covenants is that God will not only forgive your sins, but God will not remember them. Don't miss this. Pay attention. God completely and permanently dealt with the issue of sin once for all. The book of Hebrews says this so many times it's impossible to miss, so don't miss this. In Jesus, our sin, our shortcomings, our failures, our mistakes, our screw-ups, our brokenness has all been paid for by Jesus. God will never throw your mistakes in your face. God will never judge you for your sin. Jesus promises not only to forgive your sin, but to forget it. Because of Jesus, it is done. It's scandalous. It's an undeserved hole in one. Does this mean sin doesn't have an effect? Yes, of course. We still make amends. We still experience natural consequences to sin. But my point is that because Jesus paid for our sins, God will never, ever hold our sins against us. And this gives us freedom from guilt and self-condemnation. This happened for me when a pastor spoke these words over me. He said, Christ has paid for your sins, so you never have to. And this came at a moment when I was admitting how afraid I was to meet God face to face. Even from a young age, I carried around this incredible burden of sin, guilt, and shame everywhere I went. It was like an anchor that was attached to my soul, one I could never be rid of, but also one I had grown accustomed to. But in that moment, The weight lifted from my shoulder, and for the first time in my life, I experienced relief. Relief from this nagging sense of guilt that always plagued me. This truth removed the boot socks I was limping around with for all of those years, and the result is that I ran into the Father's arms and experienced his peace and acceptance in a way I never had before. So again, I say in Jesus, our sin, our shortcomings, our failures, our mistakes, our screw-ups, our brokenness have all been paid for and forgiven once for all. God will never throw mistakes in your face. God promises never to judge you 
God promises both to forgive and forget your sin. Because of Jesus, it is done. This is why Jesus is greater. So here's my invitation for us today. Are you going to give all of your attention and focus to Jesus? Or are you going to let yourself be sidetracked? What religious obligations are you leaving in your boots to hurt you? Are you carrying around the weight of your own guilt and shame? Or can you let that go? Will you let it go? God wants you to let it go. So let's pray. Father, from the very beginning, you have done everything possible so that we can both know and be known by you. So that we can experience you in a way they never could under that old covenant. God, will you help us remove all the boot socks, all the things that get in our way from experiencing you, whether it's sin and shame and condemnation, whether it's religious practices and a list of to-dos and to-don'ts so that we feel accepted by you. God, whatever is in our way, will you help us identify that this morning so we can remove it? God, will you give us a spiritual understanding of what we have in that new covenant that Jesus has brought to us through his blood? God, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for this uh, forgiveness of sin and that we can experience you in an intimate and personal way. And we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.